the Sunday Morning Linux Review with Mary Tomich, Tom Lawrence, and Tony Beavis as the Beaver. That's right, and this is episode 276, Fresh Looks, Streisand slash self-hosted VPNs. Self-hosted VPNs. This is cool. Yeah. So this is Tony Bemis. Phil Parada. And Tom Lawrence. All right. So I uh, I came up with the topic today um, because I've been messing around with different kind of ways to set up VPNs um, for either for privacy or for uh, whatever you want, you know, um, and it, it could be to be able to get back into your home network or, uh, like I said, for privacy, getting so people aren't uh, watching everything you're doing. Um, and, uh, so one of the things I ran across and actually our friend, friend of the show, uh, Ken, I believe is his name. I'm blanking right now. I'm sorry about that. He actually told me about it a few weeks ago, or a month ago, when uh, I was messaging with him. And the system, it's called Streisand, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it is, uh, it's really built to be able to be run in the cloud. Uh, so, and it has m- multiple cloud instances, uh, or cloud options that it will help you, or do the configuration for you. Uh, and and that's really what the problem has been, right? For anybody trying to run their own VPN host or VPN server, is they're typically really hard to configure to get working right and flawlessly. Uh, and you know, if you're trying to run it out of your your home, then you know, do you want to have it full access to your home and network when you know, or do you want to be able to do firewall rules, or are you? You know, if if this is for privacy concerns and you're trying to dump out to a different country or a different, uh, you know, location than where you're at and you want it to be encrypted um, to make sure, you know, everything is configured right so that the encryption is is working and DNS is not being leaked and and everything. So And they support uh, OpenVPN wrapped in Stunnel. So that's actually, yeah, we talked about that before the show. That's um, that's cool. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so the Streisand basically is a set of scripts that you run on a local computer uh, somewhere. You know, it's the, and basically it's to do the initial setup, and I'm sure you can do some administration on it, but I haven't really gotten that far because I'm really just getting it set up and, and testing it. Um, uh, but what it does is you run the script and it asks what uh, cloud service provider you're going to use. And so in my case, I said Amazon. And then it said, here, give us your uh, connection info. Uh, because I had, before I ran this, I went to Amazon and I set up a one of the free tier Amazon um, accounts. Uh, so as long as you use, you know, their, the lowest tier of CPU and RAM on their server, and then if you stay under, is it 15 gigs of bandwidth a month? then it's free. You don't have to pay anything. Hmm. So that's what, uh, and, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, hopefully I can stay under the 15 gigs. Otherwise, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the bandwidth is going to end up costing me, but for five bucks or whatever. Yeah, Linode. It's, uh, it's not bad. No. It, as long as you're not doing like a, 
<coughs> Excuse me. As long as you're not doing like a Google Hangout or any sort of video streaming, um, that's more than reasonable. I mean, think about how much data you use on your phone a month, right? And then uh, double it. The uh, five dollar month Linode is forty gigs of network for five dollars a month. So that's yeah. not bad. Like yeah. I said, other than uh, as long as you're ruling out things like Netflix and YouTube, you can stay under that. If you're using Netflix and YouTube, you're over. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Way over. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Even with uh, uh, video conferencing, video si- uh, systems, I did a test with uh, Skype over my, over, you know, cell. I didn't have uh, Wi-Fi available. I did an hour-long Skype session, and it was like 200 meg. That's not bad at all. I Yeah. I was watching uh, PFSense while I had Google Hangouts running, and it was constantly like three meg, uh, three meg down. So it just chews up data like no one's business. Well, actually, that's not that's not far off. Three times by, well, that's three meg a second, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm way off. Never mind. I'll say <laughs> three three times by sixty minutes. We need more efficient <laughs> protocols. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Anyway, so I've got it's free for me right now, and I'm testing out. And uh, what Stryzen does is it sets up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different tunneling systems and protocols uh, um, to be able to VPN into. And it all depends on the your local client that you're going to be using and which one you want to set up, which one is either secure or will let you have that privacy um, leaving the area that you're at. Um, so one of them is open one, or it's uh, popular, it's uh, Cisco AnyConnect, and the open source version is OpenConnect. So you can use the Cisco AnyConnect client to be able to connect to your new server. So say if you already have AnyConnect for another reason, then this would just be another connection point on there. Uh, or Tom said there's the OpenVPN, uh, and it has two different setups for that, either the direct or the S-tunnel. Um, and then there's shadow sockets, SSH, Tor, and WireGuard. And WireGuard is interesting, but the down flaw or the down part of uh, WireGuard is that I think there's only a Linux client for it. Is the only thing, and it's a uh, it's a command based. Um, uh, start and stop. There's no like GUI for it, which isn't hard. I, I mean, it's it's one string, you know, one command that you run. I popped that into a text file and called it, you know, start wired guard. And then it starts my VPN up, you know, and then I made one that says stop. And, uh, and it gives you through this whole thing, it gives you everything of how to set these up, where to download the certificates, you know, so there's, uh, it's a mix, depending on the one you're going to set up, it's a mix of either it's going to be certificate-based or password, username password-based, or the mic or both certificate and username password. Um, so it's, you know, it, if you follow the instructions, it ends up being pretty easy. I, when I set up uh, OpenVPN, one of the things that I, I like to do, they have a couple features they added with the latest version. One, you can generate your own uh, TLS cert in addition to the cert that op- that is generated in, I'm going to use PFSense as an example. So PFSense has its own built-in CA system. Then you can also add a, uh, you can use Lesson Encrypt as well, for those of you that like that. Um, 
But they also have a spot where you can have it generate an S, uh, TLS cert, which is pretty cool, because then you can just manipulate your own and have that in there. And I kind of like that, because that serves as that second factor of authentication. Yeah, that's what I have uh, configured on mine right now. Right. Yeah, it's the whole something that's, you know is username and password, and something that you have, which is a, a certificate. Yep. That's, that's, right. that's definitely great. Uh, yeah, so I've been messing with this. Like on my phone, I think I have three different VPNs set up. I have the AnyConnect, I have the OpenVPN, and uh, I tried setting up the SSH with a proxy or a SOX proxy, but I'm not getting the SOX proxy part working right. So I've got to either mess around with that or just. I'm going to say it's probably on the SSH it. server end. Of, uh, don't you have to implicitly allow SOX proxy to pass I've, through? I've tested it from my laptop and it works fine. Okay. So it's something on the Android phone. There's, oh, okay. There's a, I think there's a proxy app I need to install. Uh, which, when I Googled it um, a couple months ago, they said you don't really need that app anymore. You can just do it straight from the networking uh, function in, uh, mm. in Android. That you should be able to, like, right, right when you connect to the Wi-Fi, you say use a proxy and say localhost in this port. But it doesn't seem to be working for me. And you're running the most recent version of Android, or it were at that time, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, even Just right making now sure. I am. Yeah, it's uh, what it, what is the newest thing? Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm sure it's something I'm not doing right. But um, and that's really what I had been using for my home VPN is really just SSH pro, uh, Sox proxy tunnel. Uh, so I wanted to kind of step it up because the problem with SSH Sox proxy is it doesn't um, do your DNS. And then there's other things that that if you don't tell it to proxy through the the proxy tunnel, then it's not going to go through that and it still goes out. So I haven't, and I'm sure there's probably an easy way to do it, but I haven't figured out how to make everything I do in command line to go out to go through the tunnel. Uh, or maybe it isn't easy, and that's why I haven't figured it out. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the reasons I like OpenVPN because uh, what I have is two VPNs. Same VPN, one config is for I want everything to wrap through the tunnel, and the other one is only data for that network to wrap through the tunnel because it depends on what I'm doing because uh, it goes back to my office. But sometimes I want to be my office's IP because uh, we have client ACL lists that only allow access from our IP. Other times I just need to get to something on the network but don't want all my traffic being wrapped back because it slows it down to pipe it through there. But the OpenVPN, actually, I found has made that uh, they've done a good job even on Android because that's how we're getting to our phone system now is we have OpenVPN on our phones, pop it open, then you can be on our network and have our phone access to our uh, free PBX. And yeah. the latency and everything is actually not bad. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't experienced any issues with it. I've been kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's in uh, – actually, I just got OpenVPN working on my phone from my home uh, last night. Yeah, or to my home from, uh, yeah, yeah, from my phone to my home. I just got it working last night. I'm like, sweet, and I'm I'm trying to be because at work I'm the firewall admin. So I'm, now I'm trying to like do all these fancy firewall rules, <laughs> and, and I'm getting my head wrapped around the way PFSense does uh, aliases. Okay, so, uh, and and that's more. Of I have a what video I'm used on to just an alias. And aliases and I've uh, I've got an alias video on PFSense to help people understand it because a lot of people who people said it didn't exist in PFSense like oh no it not only exists it's actually really cool. Yeah, and that's actually more of the the standard when when I talk to other firewall systems and yes. firewall admins, it's you use more aliases and groups and most and the other ones I've used like corporate firewalls 
is you have to have an alias or group. You can't just stick in an IP address. Yeah, I'm, I actually, um, that's one of the things that kind of annoys me about um, SonicWall. That's how they do it. You, you have to create an alias for each thing. The problem I have with it is the way SonicWall implements aliases, at least in some of the older SonicWalls that I've used, um, They when you're looking at the rule, you can't, like, figure out the rule. You have to then trace back to another page. So you have to open up, like, multiple windows to see the aliases. PF Sense mitigates that in the most simplest way possible. Hold mouse over yeah. firewall rule, list all things in rule. Yeah, you just hover over the, yeah. the whatever the alias is, and it lists everything that's inside yeah. it. Yeah, so when you, you can view everything in one page, which makes it substantially easier because, uh, obviously, as we, as we deal with corporate firewalls, there's a lot of complicated rules. I understand completely the need for aliases. Well, that, was um, a, that was my experience back on old Juniper devices like uh, uh, SG200s. Oh, that was a nightmare. ASAs do that, too. Where, and, well, I have an old version of ASA that we have, but you... I try to figure out what's in it. You can't. You have to go to another page, say, show yep. me this group, and then it'll tell you everything. And because um, even getting to that page is multiple clicks, you can't just list all the aliases out. Um, interesting, though, and in, before you get too off topic, I will mention in PF Sense, you can pull URLs as an alias. Yeah. Which is amazing because that's how you create block lists. Mm-hmm. I can say block everything that you find in this URL, and essentially W gets that URL and creates the alias. Yeah, so we're, schedule. <laughs> we're getting a little bit off of yep. the VPN, but I want to say one more thing with it with using URLs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're using in like a high bandwidth or high usage um, in, environment, like I have at my work, uh, you always want to put URLs at the bottom of your rule base, as far down as you can, because a URL, because a firewall still always does everything based on IP addresses. Yeah, right. So every time. And then, you know, in a firewall, you it always checks top, you know, rule one, rule two, rule three. And it just goes through the, the rule base until it finds what is allowed. Mm-hmm. And if it's not allowed, then it drops it, right? So if you put a DNS name as rule one, every single packet that comes into that firewall has to hit the DNS. It hits that first rule saying, now, this IP address you're going to doesn't match this DNS record. It has to do a DNS record or DNS lookup for every well, single packet that comes through that firewall. Because of the way PF Sense work, uh, you're you're partially right. Um, they do it fast, and they implemented a better engine to do this. And the reason why is because the first rules we have are a series of URLs for countries. Um, if you're outside the U.S., we have you on a block list. You can't hit my screen connect. You can't hit any of that. And we have a reputation list. So those are all my first entries in my firewall rule is you got to get past my block list. But that that's coming in. No, I, I'm talking about going out. Oh, okay. For going so, outbound? Yeah, outbound. Um, and so what you want to do is you right, so it'll do a DNS query every single time. So what mm-hmm. you want to do is put those at the bottom. That way it'll go through the, the rule base and all these IPs is no, 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 no. And it hits the bottom. And even if it takes an extra second to do the DNS queries, it, if it doesn't match, then it gets dropped anyways. Mm. Right. Uh, so I use PF you know, Blocker in, for that. In too. an environment where you have 30,000 computers going through one firewall. Yeah. yeah that's a significant <laughs> amount of traffic. Yeah, yeah. A lot of traffic. And to have to do a DNS, re- a DNS query for every single packet that comes through that firewall. Would, would bring our entire environment to the knees. It, it's amazing the amounts of engineering that go into something at scale that yeah. you wouldn't notice just from your house or um, like your, your neighbors uh, yeah. sharing internet even. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 
Well, it's one of the reasons there for um, BSD being such a popular base for things. Mm-hmm. The Linux, uh, out of the box, your standard Linux kernel doesn't support that many state tables. It just isn't possible uh, to build a large-scale Linux firewall. Uh, FreeBSD is able to do that. Um, and there is that one, I forget, that router OS, it's called, uh, that's, that, but it uses, once again, a... Ha- Microtik? I think Microtik uses it, but it's a Linux router OS. Mm. Um, and it's really, it's it's... Really interesting because it's uh, been mo- massively modified to support that level of scale because it's used in environments. It's, Bio- it's just a BIOS. BIOS. It's yes. just a kernel tweak, right? To uh, allow there's more. Some, I was uh, I, at the mug um, when I did my PFSS presentation. I wish he would have came up. He's an engineer who's worked on that specific thing and mm. done things at scale and come up, and he's helped engineer. I only met him once at Mug. I've never seen him again. Uh, mystery guy. But he talked about what it's like to run 50 gigabits of data. And what you have to do, and what the the engineering that goes, and he worked for Ford or somewhere, one of the big uh, automotives, I think it was. But it's really interesting because, like you said, at scale, there are challenges that you just do not see. Um, oh yeah, yeah, just it's not there. It doesn't exist until you get to, like you said, thirty thousand computers in one firewall. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back to Streisand. Uh, have you tried any of the Tor services on it? I have not. That's uh, one thing I haven't gotten around to. So, it, so what's cool is it, it, when you you get you so you run the script, it goes through and it configures the server for you. It it took about ten minutes, and actually I don't know what failed on it, but it, I actually had to run it three times. Um, so then I was worried. Do, now do I have three instances of Amazon that's out there that's going to start like billing me? And but when I lo- log into my Amazon portal, I don't see anything. Like I see no instances running at all. Hmm. Are you checking the correct region? Up in the Amazon the, portal, top left, sorry, top right corner, you can switch from the default US what US West two or something like that to somewhere else. That's probably the problem. Um it turns out that Last summer, uh, I submitted a couple of uh, of syntax uh, fixes and other stuff to this project. So, hey, oh. cool! Thanks, thanks for the commit history, uh, <laughs> GitHub. <laughs> oh, that's it. Now I see. Oh, hey, have you found it? <laughs> Tony's like, I'm being built somewhere else. So I'm in the right. You're in the right mm, place. No, I don't. Is it? It's not EC2 instance, is it? I wonder. It, it would be yes. Oh, I do have three instances running. Oh no! Good thing I found it. <laughs> and this week in Linux news, Tony's gonna get three bills from Amazon. <laughs> Finding all those servers. Here we go. Let's let's kill these other two. Anyway, so I'll, I'll do that after the show. Yeah. Uh, so we have. Uh, so you run it and. And then it says, here's your, or it, it can ask if you want to give it a DNS name or if you're just going to go by IP address. Um, and then you, it gives you like the, the string here. Here's the, the web link to log in. And then a username and a password. And what's interesting, the password is uh, the string of words together, which makes it really long password. But it's completely readable and, and easy to pass along if you need to, to somebody else. Um, so when you log in, then it's basically just a web page of instructions of how to set up your clients uh, and links to where all the certificates are. 
That's so pretty you cool. Can download them. Yeah, and then for the Open VPN and the Open Connect uh, ones, it's the whole or not the is it the Open Connect? Um, it's a, it's a whole bundle, like you know the Open VPN bundle. So when I went to add it to my phone, I just downloaded the bundle, said import that in, and then everything was there, and it would let me connect. Uh, so that that worked out really good. I think. You know, it's really um, neat that they support so many VPNs. And a few people have asked me this, why I'm so big on OpenVPN. What it really comes down to is vetting. Uh, there's a, I've been looking at the list. I mean, it's impressive all the different VPNs it supports. But I'm also worried when someone has a new VPN. Because this, this is a, an excellent point. Open source does not automatically mean secure. It doesn't, and nothing's really secure until it's gone through some type of uh, stringent code review and third-party audit from not the person who wrote it <laughs> first. That's important uh, to make sure all the cryptograph, cri- uh, crypto- cryptographic algorithms, tongue twister, uh, were implemented properly. And OpenVPN has actually gone through two rounds of this by two separate third-party auditors. Bugs were found. Bugs were quashed. Bugs were all minor. And that's what's important. Someone found some edge cases uh, of what you could do. But that's one of the reasons I, when you're thinking about VPNs, because if they find, if a state actor finds a hole in some random new guy's VPN that becomes popular because it got recommended on some podcast, (laughs) don't blame me. Right. (laughs) It's one of those things to think about just uh, when you're in consideration for anything out there. You know, I'm always for trying new things and stuff like that. But if it comes down to critical infrastructure protection or you're really worried about what's going over the pipe um having a well-vetted vpn system is important to make sure that it was done right um, yeah everyone got excited when that and we've brought up in the show before someone tried to copy LastPass and did a poor implementation of a browser-based password manager with very 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 low entropy and some major flaws <laughs> but people got excited about it and jumped on it and like oh, yeah. hold your horses this was implemented wrong right <laughs> don't put your passwords in this <laughs> And that's what I like about this is that it has either it has a few of the newer stuff, yes. and then it has things that are have been vetted out. Has things been vetted, and it's got Tor in there, which is really cool because it's got the bridge relay and OBS OBFS proxy in there too. Um, I've been playing around with Tor for a while. It's fascinating. They're really on top of uh, security flaws, and they also are realizing the challenge, as we all are, of what it takes to try to ob- obfuscate things on the internet via Tor and how hard that is. Um, nation-state actors still have access to Tor in some level through certain amounts of knowledge. Right. If you have enough endpoints, you can try to figure out where someone came in at. That's that's. It's just a math problem. If they have 300 connections to Tor, they can figure out your connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the one thing that, that looks interesting, I think I mentioned it earlier, is WireGuard. And, uh, you know, it says it's... That it's uh, using leading class uh, cryptography, and it's uh, you know one of the newer ones out there, and I, so it looks interesting. And I'm going through and, and double checking. One, that's the word that caught me was and it says leading class. If they would have used military grade, I mean, they would have won the buzzword bingos for <laughs> right. for uh, my product is secure because we use military grade encryption with leading class implementations. Military grade just means that they found the contractor for the cheapest price. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I agree; it's definitely worth looking at. It seems cool. I it, like uh, that OpenVPN is wrapped in S Tunnel. Um, S Tunnel is a really sweet project. Yes. Um, is it? Off topic from VPNs for a moment, uh, I've used it to 
um, encrypt traffic between uh, two databases uh, mm. located in um, different customer data centers before for a project. Well, I think it's actually very on topic, and the reason why is uh, OpenVPN itself gets blocked with deep packet inspection, as I've learned from uh, people commenting on my YouTube channel, because I talk about OpenVPN and been messaged about this a lot. The deep packet inspection at uh, some of the different countries, they just block it. They just know, they don't know what OpenVPN is, and they just turn it off for seeing it. So uh, the only solution is to wrap it in something that looks like HTTPS traffic. That's the only, there is a certain latency cost that's going to come with wrapping it in S-Tunnel. Um, but the other cost is you don't get access to anything the government doesn't want you to have access to. That's because they've blocked external DNS. They block TLS over DNS. They block OpenVPN. They basically allow internal DNS servers in the, inside the country, and they allow uh, port 443 and 80. There you go. Mm -hmm. Have at it, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Right, and that's one thing that maybe we've skimmed over a little bit is uh, when when I said uh, privacy or, you know, or snooping. You know, it's it's people that are local to where you are pretty much. You know, I mean, it, we're in the U.S., you know, we're pretty open to everything. Yeah. Uh, but I want to have privacy. If I'm in a coffee shop, I don't want... You know, somebody that's sitting over there with their Mac, think you know, I think they're normal, but they could be hacking. You know, they could be trying to look through my stuff, you know, network traffic, so I can wrap it through a tunnel and, and go out. So Or DNS but, redirecting you. You know, they, they poison, the, they use ARP, they poison the DNS servers they see you connecting to because it's passing through the clear on your network. So, yeah, that becomes a, a DNS hijacking issue. Right. So, but then the thing, the, what you need to remember is where the the VPN endpoint is, or the, the server where you're connecting to, the traffic then leaves there. And so it depends if somebody's watching from that point, you know? Yep. You, like, so if you're VPNing into your house, then your ISP is still going to be watching seeing, you. You're watching you, uh, you know, or, you know, so if you find somebody, I, it, it all depends, you know, where you dump out to and, uh, one problem I found with PIA is that they're known IP address blocks that yep. PIA uses. Yep. So people are starting to block PIA. A lot of companies. Because right. a lot of people use it for region, uh, you know, to get around regions um, and things like that. But yeah, PIA, they're, they're IP, they're become popular. That's all there is to it. Once mm -hmm. you become a popular VPN, game over. You get all your net blocks blocked by all the places. They know what you're trying to do and they just drop in a block for it. Yeah. And my, my university, I tried to log in to um, our system, uh, and it wouldn't let me log in. It was giving me some, like, weird, like, password error. But when I called them, they're like, oh, you're coming in from a VPN? you got to turn that off. Yeah. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, they know it's, it's a VPN because it's... You know, yeah. the, the address block it's coming from. The, you know, the other side, because uh, PIA's, you know, been audited and vetted. They've, they're pretty open in disclosing, despite having one of the most generic-looking websites full of stock photography I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> with, a, with a stupid logo and name. I'm sorry. I like them, but I think that um, I always thought if you're a government who wants to catch people, the best way to do it would simply be start a VPN company and offer it for really cheap. Because everyone will use it. Like, if you couldn't come up with a better plan, offer it as a service. Because if you did it for free, you're too suspicious. But if you do just a couple dollars a month, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you would set up a VPN and you catch all the people because you'd have their IP address. I just that's why I don't. I always tell people and they say, "Well, what VPN do you recommend? I want to do something." I'm like, "You don't want to do whatever you're going to do. Probably you shouldn't be doing whatever you're going to do, whatever that is." And three, the best way for government to do things is be set this up. So you have to. You're just delegating trust over to a VPN company. Spin your own. Yeah, and yeah. that's really the beauty of this project. Yeah, this, and that's what I think that's what this is, so you can just spin your own. <laughs> so, Phil, you said you contributed to the project. It was just some minor uh, uh, code styling fixes. I'm, I'm thinking about doing the exact same thing again, uh, because every little bit of uh, code cleanup or, like, styling changes will help someone else um, down the road, so that way files look consistent. You can jump between um, Ansible... YAML file and it will it will all flow the same without really a divergence in um, you you can you can get back to coding quicker than having to say okay how come this looks different than this oh they're doing the same thing yeah cool that's it I'm gonna have to give this uh, stray sand a try it looks pretty cool I want to see how good um, OpenVPN and S Tunnel works together. Yeah, same here. Can I bypass? I have some DPI tools, uh, deep packet inspection tools, so I want to see if I can bypass them. Can I fool them to make me think I'm just doing SSL traffic? Mm-hmm. Wait and see. <laughs> All right. Uh, does Streisand uh, run on a Raspberry Pi, Charlie Brown AUS? I, I don't, don't know. No. I don't know. Uh, really what it is, I mean, the idea is that it would be running out in the cloud. Yeah. There is an option to be able to run it on a local computer. Uh, so, like, if you wanted to self-host it in your house or in your yeah. own, like, uh, VM, you know, then it is possible to do that. But I don't, I didn't see anywhere that specifically said it was supported on Raspberry Pi. And I actually, one of the problems you run into running anything cryptographically challenging on a Raspberry Pi is super, super low bandwidth because it just can't keep up with the uh, challenge of decrypting your traffic. Yeah, you mean... You say bandwidth, but you mean like a CPU. Well, the CPU usage is so high, so you end up with very yeah. limited bandwidth. Right, yeah. It's yeah. going to be re- really slow because... Regenerating the entropy pool is also going to take oh, yeah. a significant <clears throat> amount of time for all of the certs that have to be created for this. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to doubt it because there's a, there's a bunch of extra tooling that might not exist for ARM just yet. Um, mm. it's, uh, good news is, uh, kind of related note, the, the folks over at PF Sense have contributed a lot back to the BSD ARM. Uh, they have, on their NetGate devices, they have a line of them that are ARM-based, but they have coprocessors on them. Yeah, you can have that sticker if you'd like. <laughs> that's, that's from a box we just opened. Um, but uh, they have a coprocessors on them to handle the cryptography. Oh, so nice. th- th- they have solutions for it because they can actually run OpenVPN. It's got about a 90 megasecond on their low-end devices, which is not possible on most ARM devices. And it's not because it's a more powerful ARM. They just coprocessored it. So. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was lo- reading something. Uh, some th- I was reading about running PFSense on a, uh, uh, what are those, thin clients, right? Yeah. And some of the older thin clients, you can't even install PFSense on it anymore. Because PFSense is now requiring that separate coprocessor or they or require option. Um, they're going to force it option. with 2.5. So in a 2.4 branch, uh, you can still load without AESNI, and you'll just take a performance hit. 
Um, so you need a processor that supports AESNI for the 2.5 branch. They're making it mandatory because of the rewrites they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they said it's going to enhance security if they push everything through the AESNI chip. Uh, apparently, there's some major changes coming to the 2.5 branch. Um, they want to rewrite the engine, and they're going to rewrite it with a com- uh, with a uh, what do you call it? Complete reliance on it. And the reason why is actually interesting. Um, they said that the software implementation of AES is not well-maintained and just not good and not fast. So they don't want to base on it because they actually have to support two code bases, one that uh, derives things and pushes them to a software-emulated AES instruction or the one built-in chip. Now, the nice mm-hmm. thing is it's not just an Intel thing. For those wondering, it's uh, Intel and AMD. I think it's FX chips and newer um, have it supported. So you're talking about chips that have been around for about six or seven years that uh, have it in there. So there's plenty of used ones and available on the market. But, of course, this made the forums explode of, you're going to make me get rid of my old PFSense. And they're like, 2.5's got a release date of probably 2020, and 2.4, I think, has a support end of 2021. Because they yeah. even support the 2.3 for those not following along with it they still support old branches so yeah so you still have three or four years yeah three or four years within three or four years you can save up the pennies it takes to buy a 10 year old processor right. <laughs> yeah at the time it will be i yeah. think i was looking at one of those was it hp makes uh, uh thin clients that yeah. are really popular for it because i was trying to find out something i wanted to run at my parents house just something small, low-powered that can sit in the um, corner. And... Go to NetGate themselves. They have a couple projects that they've started. They have some super low-wattage, small ARM-based devices that are for uh, running PFSense, and they actually have a $100 box that runs ARM that's oh. like uh, 3 watts that will run it with OpenVPN. Yeah. It's not very fast, obviously, but it's inexpensive. It's tiny. It's about the size of a Raspberry Pi, but it has your two network ports, and it runs full-blown PFSense, including VLAN support. Yeah. That's what I might end up doing with them. And it wouldn't need VPN. It wouldn't need it. It's really, I'm looking for uh, the DNSBL, you know, blocking. Yeah. DNS um, blocking and we stuff. installed one for a client, and it's still working it, uh, for a small office. It's one of their basic uh, PFSense, which is a couple two-person office. We wanted it. We, they needed their router blew up, and we had one that we were testing. We were done testing it. We're like, we can install this. And it's worked perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. That's it. I'll do some testing on this. It sounds like fun. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Um, uh, yep, so you have been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This was episode 275. 276. 276, that's right. <laughs> Streisand. Streisand. No, uh, what, yeah, was, I don't know. What did we call it? We call it yeah, Streisand, Streisand now. All right. <laughs> Barbara. <laughs> Barbara. Barbara Streisand. Streisand on Linux. <laughs> VPNs and all that fun stuff. <laughs> That's right. And this is Tony Bemis, Phil Parada, and Tom Lawrence. Have a good week. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to smlr.us. Feel free to send comments to show at smlr.us or give us a call at 734-258-7009. I'm John Miller. If you don't like it, you can bite my 8-bit metal ass. That's bite with a Y. (laughs) 